coming to you live from the basement of an abandoned house in the middle of a field. It's the Derek Izzy Show. Welcome to the Derek Izzy Show. We have a horrid show in store for you today. Isn't that right, Moses? One, two, three, four. Get some food and out the door. Okay, Moses. Um, hey, uh, are you all right? Yeah, boss. I'm fine. I'm just, I'm just ready for lunch. Well, that's good, Moses. But you might want to get your lunch before the show, because this show is going to be a little bit graphic. And very scary. Before I begin the show, I want to thank Audible for being our title sponsor. If everyone can go to audibletrial.com slash Derek, you can enjoy the benefits of this wonderful sponsor. Audible has over 180,000 titles of audiobooks. If you have a busy life and you don't have time to read like most of us, you can download your audiobooks to your mobile device. You can listen to them in the car while you're at work, basically anywhere where you have a mobile device, you can listen to audiobooks. Get a free one-month subscription and one free book download by going to audibletrial.com slash Derek. And if you have to go on any long trips, you've got Audible for in the car. If you don't have a vehicle, you can always get a ride with Uber. Uber is a mobile taxi app, also a sponsor of the show. You can enjoy a free first ride with Uber using our special discount code. That's 5LX9E. Discount code will get you a free ride up to $20 in value. 5LX9E. Only good for the first time you use it, so get out there and use it now. Uber, the taxi app. And now, on to the topic of today's gruesome podcast. As I warned you in the beginning, this one is very gruesome, and it may be difficult to listen to. So if that's not the type of thing that you think you can handle, then go ahead and turn it off now, and listen to one of the more lighthearted podcasts that I have on file. I'd recommend the airline rant. If you've traveled through the air before, you will find you can relate to the airline rant show. So go ahead and check it out if you're not up for something graphic. And now, on to the topic of today's podcast. He was born on September 27th, 1940, in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Put up for adoption as an infant, his adopted father, George, worked at aircraft factories, forcing him and his parents to move around often. He grew up in four different states, but his family finally settled in California. He was an extremely smart individual with an IQ of 138, That puts him in the top 1%. Despite his intelligence, he dropped out of high school at age 17. By this time, he had already been arrested several times for petty crimes. Shortly after dropping out of school, he was sentenced to two years in prison for auto theft, evading arrest, and leaving the scene of a hit-and-run. 
Just days after finishing this sentence in the California Youth Authority, he was arrested by the FBI in Louisiana for violating the Interstate Motor Vehicle Theft Act. He was sentenced to 18 months in prison to be served at a federal reformatory in Oklahoma. Through good behavior, he ended up getting transferred to a medical center in Missouri. He claimed to have his first sexual experience at the medical center in Missouri. The only details we have is that it was with a woman there. After serving only a third of his sentence, he managed to get released. In 1960, he was arrested once again for robbery in Los Angeles, California. The following year, he was sentenced to 1 to 15 years in the state prison. A psychiatric evaluation stated that he was paranoid and borderline psychotic, as well as manipulative. In spite of this, he was conditionally released in 1963. Just two months later, he violated his parole on suspicion of robbery. Over the next 15 years, he was in and out of prisons for different crimes. But what he became known for was partnering with another individual that he met while serving a sentence in the California men's colony. Between the two of them, they left quite a path of destruction and terror. Their victims, Shirley Ledford, Leah Lamp, Andrea Hall, Jackie Gilliam, and Cindy Schaefer, had no idea the horror that was in store for them. Their murder spree took place in the year 1979. Now back then, times were a little bit different. Hitchhiking was socially acceptable, and it was fairly common to see somebody hitchhiking down the road and for a traveling motorist to stop and pick them up. So the type of dangers that you would be aware of today really didn't exist back then, or if they did exist, they weren't as commonly known to people. So if you were hitchhiking, there was a reasonable degree of safety in what you were doing, being picked up by a stranger back in 1979. Before their murder spree, back in 1977 was when our two killers met each other. The prison they were in, the California men's colony, had a lot of hardened criminals from motorcycle gangs, drug dealers, some very, very rough individuals. These two individuals became friends. They talked together about how to construct jewelry. They talked about their crimes. And they talked about a common interest, the interest being sexual violence. As they confided their fantasies to each other, they realized they had a lot in common. They both wanted to experience the violence of savagely beating and raping a woman, but neither of them had ever done it before. They came to an agreement that when they were both released from prison, they would meet up and explore their fantasies. When he got out of prison, the topic of our podcast, Mr. Bittaker, really considered himself a loner. While he was popular amongst local teenagers, he later admitted that was because he always had beer and marijuana in his hotel room at the Burbank Motel. That was where he lived, and it would remain a popular place for teenagers to socialize. That was how he got his in with the teen crowd. Two months after Mr. Bittaker was released from the men's colony, his partner, Mr. Norris, was released as well. He moved into his mother's home. Shortly thereafter, he received a letter from Mr. Bittaker. In late February, the pair met at a hotel 
and rekindled their plan to kidnap and rape teenage girls. In order to be successful in their plan, they agreed that they would need a van as opposed to just a regular car. They purchased a 1977 GMC cargo van in February of 1979. The van was windowless on the sides and had a large passenger side sliding door. According to Mr. Bittaker, this sliding door made them realize that they could pull up really close to a teenage girl and abduct her without having to open the doors all the way. They nicknamed this van Murder Mac. From February to June of 1979, the pair picked up over 20 female hitchhikers. They did not assault these girls at all. These were just practice runs, simply a way for them to develop ruses to lure girls into the vans voluntarily and to discover secluded locations where they could potentially leave bodies. In April, the pair discovered a secluded fire road located in the San Gabriel Mountains. Mr. Bittaker exited the van, broke the locked gate to this fire road with a crowbar, and replaced the lock with one that he owned. Now the stage was set for their murderous rampage. The pair targeted teens, most of them with dark blonde hair, with the goal of killing one victim of each teenage year. They wanted to kill a 13-year-old, a 14-year-old, a 15-year-old. They attacked roughly once a month, picking up their victims driving around in their murder Mac mobile, and they would approach them with a simple ruse, either trick them into hitchhiking with them or snatch them from the side door of the van and drive them to the secluded fire trail. Once they had privacy, the plan was to tie the victims up, gag them, rape them, and torture them with hand tools. These brutal rapes and tortures were often recorded by audio tape and pictures were taken with a Polaroid camera so they would have the memories to share in the days after the murders. The bodies were then dumped in the wilderness with the exception of one victim whose body was dumped on the lawn of a private residence. On June 24, 1979, they were driving down the Pacific Coast Highway in Redondo Beach. They saw a 16-year-old girl, Cindy Schaefer, walking along the highway. She turned onto a residential street. They drove by and offered her a ride, but she refused. They parked the van a short distance down the street. Mr. Norris got out of the van and pretended to be repairing it. When Cindy walked by, he grabbed her and dragged her into the van. While they drove away, Mr. Norris bound and gagged the victim. When they arrived at the fire road, Mr. Norris raped her, while Mr. Bittaker stood as the lookout. Cindy asked if the men were going to kill her, and asked for time to pray before they did. Mr. Norris assured her that she would not be killed. Mr. Bittaker insisted on killing her, so she could not identify them. Mr. Norris was unwilling to risk such a life sentence in prison, but he was finally talked in to agreeing to murder Cindy Schaefer. While Mr. Norris tried to strangle her, he changed his grip. Cindy Schaefer fell over backwards. He dropped his cigarette, which burned a hole in his shirt and scarred his chest. He tried to strangle her again, but was unable to squeeze tightly enough. 
He took a clothes hanger, looped it around her neck. He could not get the hanger tight enough, but with a set of pliers from the toolbox, he was able to tighten it enough and strangle her to death. Her body was thrown into the bushes. On July 4, 1979, they set out to find another victim. While driving in Manhattan Beach, they saw Andrea Hall, age 18. She was hitchhiking to visit her boyfriend over in Wilmington. Before they could offer her a ride, a man in another car picked her up. They followed the car to Redondo Beach, where she got out and resumed hitchhiking. They offered her a ride. As she entered the van, Mr. Norris, who had been hiding in the back, attacked her, and after a fight, he managed to bind and gag her. They drove back into the mountains to the original place where Cindy Schaefer was killed. Mr. Norris got out and stood guard while Mr. Bittaker raped her. After the rape was complete, the men traded activities. As one stood watch, the other would rape and kill the victim. Mr. Bittaker took the body up a small hill and talked to Mr. Norris by walkie-talkie so they could remain in communication. Upon returning two hours later, he had eight photographs that he had taken. One of these photographs was used in court as evidence to convict the pair. Several of them showed Andrea Hall in various nude poses. Mr. Bittaker decided to kill Andrea Hall with an ice pick. He thrust the ice pick through her ear into her brain. When she did not die instantly, he turned her over and pushed the pick through the other ear and stepped on it until the handle broke. He then strangled her until she died and they disposed of her body over an embankment into some bushes. On September 2nd, 1979, Jackie Gilliam, age 15, and Leah Lamp, age 13, were hitchhiking in Redondo Beach. The two men picked them up in their van. After the girls entered the van, Mr. Norris hit Lamp with a sap, plastic bag filled with lead weights, and then subdued and tied Gilliam up. Lamp recovered consciousness and attempted to escape, but Mr. Bittaker caught her and forced her into the back of the van. They took the girls up into the mountains, driving beyond the site of where they committed the other two murders. Neither of them were sexually interested in Lamp, but they were going to rape Gilliam. Learning that she was a virgin, Mr. Bittaker set up a tape recorder to record her cries during the rape. After Norris raped Gilliam, they retied the girls and all remained in the van overnight. The next morning, they took Lamp up a hill. They took some photographs and then they left her there. Upon returning, they took more photographs with Gilliam, beginning with them clothed, then nude, then during intercourse and oral copulation. They brought Lamp back to the van and they drove into town for food and supplies. Upon their return, they took additional nude photographs of Gilliam. Some of these photographs were used as evidence to prosecute them. They took Gilliam out of the van and killed her, first thrusting an ice pick through her ear into her brain and then choking her. They had tranquilized Lamp to keep her quiet. After murdering Gilliam, they woke Lamp up. As she stepped out of the van, she was struck with a sledgehammer. Mr. Bittaker choked her while Mr. Norris 
struck her again with the hammer until she was dead. Both bodies were then thrown over the embankment. On October 31, 1979, Halloween night, approximately 10.30 p.m., Mr. Bittaker and Mr. Norris drove into Sun Valley, where they encountered Shirley Ledford, as she hitchhiked home from the job she held as a waitress. Shirley was a familiar face to Mr. Bittaker. He knew her well as he frequented the restaurant where she worked. Within five minutes of her entering the van, Bittaker had driven to a quiet side street where he slammed on the brakes of the van before throwing Shirley from the passenger seat into the rear of the van. Mr. Norris wrestled her to the floor, stripped the clothes off the terrified girl, and bound her hands behind her back. Then they traded places. Instead of driving to the San Gabriel Mountains, where they usually tortured their victims, Mr. Bittaker immediately turned on the tape recorder and started slapping and beating Shirley. At the beginning of the tape, the sounds heard are of Bittaker slapping her. Then towards the middle, the sounds are of Bittaker beating her about the chest with his fists and tormenting the screaming and pleading girl with vice-grip pliers on her genitals, breasts, and nipples. Towards the end, the sounds are of Norris beating her over and over, more than 25 times total, with a hammer upon the same elbow. After he had done so, as Shirley emitted pitiful, strained screams of agony as she wailed and wept, Norris simply asked her, What are you sniveling about? Soon after the tape ends, Mr. Bittaker pulled over and joined Norris in the rear of the van. Norris then took a coat hanger and wrapped it around Shirley's neck, twisting it as tight as they could with the locking pliers until she was dead. This 16-year-old child's agony was finally over. Bittaker then decided it would be interesting to drop the body off on a stranger's front lawn in order to gauge the reaction from the press. So they picked a random yard in Hermosa Beach and left Shirley Ledford's dead body lying in the center of an ivy bed upon the lawn. The body was found by a horrified jogger the next morning. The tape of this brutal rape and murder exists to this day in an FBI evidence locker. I read the transcript from the tape, and while I'm not going to read it on the show, it is very heartbreaking and agonizing, the torture that they put this girl through. If you've ever seen the Saw movies, parts two, three, four, etc., or the Hostel movies, you get an idea of what this girl suffered through. But her torture was not part of a movie. It was real. The topic of today's podcast is Lawrence Bittaker. He is currently serving on death row in a prison in California. At the time this podcast is released, he will be 75 years old and still to this day has not expressed any remorse for anything that he's done. As I conclude today's podcast, I just want to remind everyone to be aware of the people in your life and the good things you have with them. Because at any given moment, horrible animals like the topic of today's podcast can show up and take everything away. And now you know the rest of the story behind the Toolbox Killers. Good day.